How are we doing now? We're good. Let me start again. Have you ever found yourself caught like a monkey in the middle between two opposing parties? You have a long-standing relationship with both sides, and you listen carefully and sympathetically to one side, and you think, wow, they do have a legitimate complaint. That is, until you hear the other side's explanation. And you're left wondering, how is that possible? How is it possible that two parties come to the same exact experience and yet leave with equally compelling versions of the same event that leads to irreconcilable differences? Proverbs chapter 18, verse 17 warns us, the first to speak in court sounds right until the cross-examination begins. In John chapter 18, Jesus is in the midst of a series of trials and interrogations in both religious and civil courts. Six in all, actually. Three religious and three civil. Last week, the Roman cohort and officers of the Jews, having arrested and bound Jesus, assisted, of course, by Judas's betrayal in the Garden of Gethsemane, brought him to Annas, the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest. The other gospel accounts present the details of Jesus' appearance before Caiaphas, and then before the Sanhedrin, the Jewish Supreme Court. But John, in his account, is content to leave those details to the others. After all, Jesus' appearance before the Sanhedrin would have been, at this point, just a rubber stamp. They had already decided their verdict back in John chapter 11. Remember, verse 47 reads, Therefore the, pre- the chief priests and Pharisees convened a council. That's the Sanhedrin, the Supreme Court. And they were saying, what are we doing? For this man is performing many signs. And then as we drop down to verse 53, we read, so from that day on, they planned together to kill him. And that's already in John chapter 11. We're now in John chapter 18, way down the road. So the Sanhedrin had already sentenced Jesus to death. They were just lying in wait, looking for that opportune time when they could grab him, arrest him, and kill him without causing some kind of riot because he's grown in such great popularity with the people. Last week, we focused on John chapter 18, verses 12 to 26. You may want to turn there in your Bibles if you haven't already. Jesus is before Annas, and he's being contrasted with 
Like Jesus' interrogation in front of Annas is being contrasted with Peter, Peter's interrogation in the courtyard of the high priest. What a difference. Jesus shone bright as a truth teller. On the other hand, Peter, one of his closest ministry companions, the one who had claimed that he was ready to lay down his life for Jesus, lies and disowns him. Not once, not twice, but on three separate occasions. And then the rooster crowed. Just as Jesus had predicted it would. I wonder who really is in control of these unfolding events. That brings us to the next episode that we want to consider this morning. And I'm going to read the entire episode, but we'll limit our study. But I'm going to ask you to stand with me now, if you're able, as I read this next episode that begins in John chapter 18, verse 28. And it is going to be an extra long reading, so if at some point your legs start to give out, please feel free to sit down. But let's begin at verse 28. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas into the praetorium, and it was early, and they themselves did not enter into the praetorium so that they would not be defiled, but might eat the Passover. Therefore Pilate went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? And they answered and said to him, If this man were not an evildoer, would we not have delivered him to you? So Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him according to your law. The Jews said to him, We are not permitted to put anyone to death. To fulfill the words of Jesus which he spoke, signifying by what kind of death he was about to die. Therefore Pilate entered again into the praetorium and summoned Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, Are you saying this on your own initiative, or did others tell you about me? Pilate answered, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priest delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would, be not, would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Therefore Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world, to, te to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no guilt in him. 
but you have a custom that I release someone for you at the Passover. Do you wish then that I release for you the king of the Jews? So they cried out again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Pilate then took Jesus and scourged him. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and put a purple robe on him. They began to come up to him and say, Hail, King of the Jews! And to give him slaps in the face. Pilate came out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing out to you bringing him out to you so that you may know that I find no guilt in him. Jesus then came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man! So when the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out saying, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and by that law he ought to die because he made himself out to be the, to be the Son of God. Therefore, when Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. And he entered into the praetorium again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You do not speak to me? Do you not know that I have the authority to release you? And I have the authority to crucify you? Jesus answered, You would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. For this reason, he who delivered me to you has the greater sin. As a result of this, Pilate made efforts to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, If you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. Everyone who makes himself out to be a king opposes Caesar. Therefore, when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation for the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, Behold your king. So they cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he then handed him over to them to be crucified. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Sobering story, isn't it? Wow. Let's pray together. Father, you are sovereign. In fact, the psalmist declares it. The Lord does whatever pleases him throughout all heaven and earth. 
and on the seas and in their depths. None of these events in the life of Jesus caught you by surprise. In fact, things unfolded just as you designed so that evil men with hate in their hearts, your enemies, aided in the accomplishment of your perfect plans and purposes. And so as we study these unfolding events in the life of Jesus, may your spirit enlighten us so that we have a truer understanding of your person and your plans. And as a result, may we have a growing confidence in your involvement and your ability to shape the events of our lives so that we too can accomplish the plans and purposes you have prepared in advance for us to do, both individually and collectively as the Rock Community Church. Father, we love you and we want to serve you. Grow our trust and faith in you, we pray. Prevent us from looking to the world for alternatives. We're striving to accomplish things in our own strength for our own glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As I mentioned earlier, I've divided this episode this morning so that we can just focus on verses 27 through to the end of John chapter 18. John is reporting on Jesus' appearance before Pilate, the Roman governor of Judea. So this is the beginning of his civil trial. Remember, there will be three trials in this phase of his hearings. In these verses, we have Jesus, who earlier claimed to be the way, the truth, and the life, being presented by the Jewish religious elite to the leading Gentile authority of their day. And you and I know, because we know how the story is going to end, we know that Jesus is a dead man walking. But how in the world could that happen? Are you familiar with the David Milgard case? You heard of that? He was charged in, with, actually with the 1969 murder of a Saskatoon nursing aide Gail Miller, and in January 1970 was sentenced to life in prison. Appeals to the Saskatchewan Court of Appeal and then to the Supreme Court of Canada were actually, in the next two years after his conviction, were, were actually unsuccessful. Milgard's mother, Joyce, believed from the day that he was arrested that her son was innocent. And she kept the case alive, talking to whoever would listen, even who wouldn't listen, 
while he spent more than two decades in prison, 20 years. In 1991, and maybe the reason why I'm familiar with the case, that was the same year that Cynthia and I, with three little boys in tow, ended up in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, where we would spend the next 11 years pastoring the AGC church in that city. But in that year, Justice, Justice Minister Kim Campbell directed the Supreme Court of Canada to review Milgard's conviction. The Supreme Court of Canada set it aside in 1992, and Milgard was subsequently cleared by DNA evidence five years later. The Saskatchewan government awarded Milgard $10 million for his wrongful conviction in 1999. That same year, Larry Fisher was found guilty of the rape and stabbing death of Gail Miller. A provincial judici judicial inquiry, which re released a comprehensive 815-page report in September 2008 concluded that the criminal justice system failed David Milgard. The inquiry also found that Milgard might have been released from jail years sooner if the police had followed up on evidence they received in 1982. I don't think we need a judicial inquiry this morning for you and I to recognize that both the Jewish and Roman legal systems failed Jesus Christ. Mishandling the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Look again at verses 28 to 32 of John chapter 18. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas into the praetorium. It was early and they themselves did not enter into the praetorium so that they would not be defiled but might eat the Passover. Therefore Pilate went out to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? They answered and said to him, if this man were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him to you. So Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him according to your law. The Jews said to him, We are not permitted to put anyone to death to fulfill the word of Jesus, which he spoke, signifying by what kind of death he was about to die. I've labeled those verses, The Truth Suppressed. The Jews, seeking a death sentence, delivered Jesus to Pilate. And Pilate, that, that's Pontius Pilate, a Roman governor or perfect prefect of the province of Judea. He held that position from A.D. 26 until A.D. 36, 10 years. And from what I read this past week, that was an exceptionally long length of time for a governor to serve in the ancient world. So I would suggest that he is either a very good governor 
or he's a very politically astute, well, a political animal. Judea and Jerusalem, after all, had a reputation of being a very difficult territory to govern. The Praetorium, according to my footnote in my NASB Bible, says it is the governor's official residence in the city of Jerusalem. However, Pilate's official headquarters were in the capital city of the province of Judea, which was Caesarea. However, during Jewish festivals, it was not uncommon for Pilate to come to the city of Jerusalem with, a dash, with additional Roman troops to be on hand to discourage any uprisings by their mere presence. The Passover was a particularly dangerous time, as you well can imagine. Jews were gathering in the city of Jerusalem from all over. and The Passover was celebrating God's miraculous deliverance from those oppressive Egyptians. So that would make any occupying power nervous and thinking, we need to do something to ensure that there's no uprisings. So Pilate just happened to be in the city of Jerusalem and these Jewish religious elite brought Jesus to him. You can't help but notice in verse 28 that they stayed outside the governor's official headquarters because they wanted to avoid defilement. That's ceremonial defilement, Gentile contamination. How ironic is that? They were worried about being disqualified somehow from participating in Passover events as they came seeking the death penalty for the one who John the Baptist, who had identified back in John chapter 1, verse 29, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Don't miss the irony that the Apostle Paul has written into this story. Pilate displaying some Jewish sensitivities? Maybe, but I don't know. That was not his M.O. This was a little out of character for Pilate. But it was the Passover, and he was concerned about causing any kinds of disturbance. So he actually goes out to them. And notice what he asks. What accusation do you bring against this man? Now that seems like a, a fair question, don't you think? But the Jews respond as if it is an illegitimate question. In fact, they may even be taking it personally. They're irritated by this question. They don't even bother to answer his question, but instead choose to justify their approach. If this man were not an evildoer, 
we would not have delivered him to you. So rather than state the charges against him, the religious leaders insist that they have already determined that Jesus is a criminal. Just do your job, Pilate. That usually never goes over well when you're dealing with authorities. And sure enough, Pilate, perhaps a growing a little impatient with these religious leaders, says, fine, then you deal with them. And then the truth comes out. As he turns to leave, the real reason for their approaching him is disclosed. But, 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 but we're not permitted to put anyone to death. The Jewish religious leaders have been trying to manipulate the whole judicial process. What accusation did they have against Jesus? What was their problem anyway? We read already from John chapter 11 and verse 53. So from that day on, the Sanhedrin, the Supreme Court of Judaism, planned together to kill him. But let's go back even further in John's account to John chapter 5. We're almost at the beginning. Listen as I read from verse 18. For this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because he was not only breaking the Sabbath, but also was calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. The early days of Jesus' public ministry, he was already on the religious reader, leader's radar screen as being a, a blasphemer. Claiming to be equal with God was a blasphemy. And under Jewish law, that was a capital offense. But there was still a problem. See, Palestine was occupied by the Romans at this time, and they're in complete control. The Jewish Supreme Court did not have the authority or the power to carry out a death sentence without the consent of the Roman governor. And there was little hope that Pilate would grant the request. And certainly not for blasphemy. I, he didn't care. Their plan is exposed in Luke chapter 23 of Luke's account of the life and ministry of Jesus. Listen as I read. Then the whole body of them got up and brought him before Pilate. That's the Sanhedrin. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation, and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar, and saying that he himself is the Christ, a king. Maybe they came to the Praetorium hoping that Pilate was going to rubber stamp their request, just like the Sanhedrin had done. Rubber stamp the request to put Jesus to death. 
In fact, one Bible scholar suggests as much. It is possible that they were taken by surprise at Pilate's indication that he would try the case himself. They had had his cooperation making the arrest. Remember, he sent a Roman cohort with them. Now they apparently expected that he would take their word for it and that the man the Romans had helped to arrest was dangerous and should be executed. But if Pilate insisted on the charge, they would accuse him of undermining Roman rule. And that was a capital offense worthy of Roman execution. In verse 32, we have that, in fact, some translations will put that in parentheses because it is a parenthetical statement. John wants us to to be aware of what's happening behind the scenes. The apostle John writes to fulfill the word of Jesus which he spoke, signifying by what kind of death that he was about to die. And so he wants to wants us not to lose sight again that all this was unfolding exactly according to God's plan. So the Jews, seeking the death penalty, delivered Jesus to Pilate and suppressed the truth in hopes of ensuring his conviction. Let's talk about some implications of these verses for you and me. I wrestled with this in each of these sections this past week. And I think you and I can suppress the truth by, by focusing on externals. That's what the Jews were doing in that first verse, right? In verse 28. And I'm not suggesting that externals are irrelevant. But focusing on externals alone can become a problem. When the Old Testament prophet Samuel was sent by God to choose King Saul's replacement, the selection process was interrupted. God interrupted the selection process with some additional instructions to Samuel, the prophet. Do not look at his appearance or his height of his stature, because I've rejected him. For God sees not as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, the externals. But the Lord looks at the heart. And as we turn to the New Testament and the life of Jesus, we see his harshest critics or critiques were reserved for the most religious of the day or the ones who thought that they were the most religious. Let me give you just some samples taken from Matthew chapter 23 where Jesus rapid fires some judgment leveled at these scribes and Pharisees. Verse 15, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel around on sea and land to make one proselyte. And when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. Remember, these are religious elite. Verse 27, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanliness. So you too, outwardly, 
appear righteous to men, but inwardly you are full of, full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. A preoccupation with externals. Doing the right things to look good in the public eye is one way that you and I can suppress the truth. We also suppress the truth when we start manipulating systems and people to fulfill our hopes and dreams, our desires, our plans and purposes. I know the end justifies the means. No, it doesn't. Manipulation suppresses the truth. Turn with me, if you will, to Romans chapter 1 for just a moment. Romans chapter 1, and look at verse 18 and 19. For the wrath of God, verse 18, is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which was known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. We suppress the truth in unrighteousness when we refuse to acknowledge God. A God who desires to be known. And then look at verse 21 of the same chapter. They did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations. Their foolish heart was darkened. The truth suppressed. Mishandling the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Go back to John chapter 18. Let's look at verses 33 to the first part of verse 38. Therefore Pilate entered again into the praetorium and summoned Jesus and said to him, You are the king of the Jews. Jesus answered, You are saying this on your own, are you saying this on your own initiative? Or did others tell you about me? Pilate answered, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and chief priests delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Therefore Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? I've labeled these verses, The Truth Dismissed. Pilate, seeking the truth, interrogated Jesus for himself. I see no indication that in John's report that 
Pilate was, his intention was to conduct a, a legitimate interrogation of Jesus. Do you see any, anything that would suggest otherwise? He begins, are you king of the Jews? And that's a legitimate question based on what we read in Luke chapter 23. Their accusation, as they came, you'll remember, we found this man misleading our nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. That would be of concern for occupying Romans, wouldn't you say? But Jesus answers with a question with a question. Doesn't that drive you crazy when you ask a question? Are you saying this on your own initiative, or did others tell you about me? Do you mean a king in the way that you think of kingship? Then the answer is no. Jesus was not a political king. He had no interest in that. He already made that very clear in John chapter 6 and verse 15. So Jesus, perceiving that they were intending to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to a mountain to be by himself alone, not interested in becoming that kind of king. But neither could he, could he deny that he was the Messiah, Israel's true king. Jesus asked this leading question, I'm sure, to make Pilate think. Are there different kinds of kingdoms? And Pilate's response, I'm not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priest delivered you to me. What have you to done? Pilate's reply clarified that he had no personal interest in Jesus' kingship. In fact, he was a little put off that Jesus would even imply such a thing. But Jesus continues by answering Pilate's initial question. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. Remember how he interrupted Peter when he pulled out his sword in the garden? But as it is, my kingdom is not of this world realm. The point that Jesus is clarifying is that he and his kingdom were not in any way, shape, or form a threat to the Romans. It was not a present threat because God had postponed his messianic kingdom due to Israel's unbelief. Though Jesus didn't take the time to explain that to Pilate. There will be a day when Jesus returns to set up his kingdom here on earth and he will reign for a thousand years. But that was still future. For now, it would be a spiritual kingdom. He would reign in the hearts of those who would turn to him and believe that he was the Christ, the Son of God. The point he is making with Pilate was that this Jesus, as king, which he admitted he was, was not a threat to Roman rule. 
their final exchange kind of seals the deal for Pilate. Jesus as the king was not a threat, but Pilate was not able to hear Jesus' voice. Do you notice the subtle invitation Jesus extends to this pagan Roman governor? I find it fascinating. Like, why bother? Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice, implying that the truth is accessible even to Pilate if he would hear Jesus' voice. And Pilate's response? Utter dismissal. What is truth? I can see him. He's turning and walking away, just like that rich young ruler in Matthew chapter 19. So Pilate, seeking the truth, interrogated Jesus and then dismissed it as irrelevant. So what are the implications for you and I? I think you and I can dismiss the truth when we choose not to do the things that we know we ought to do. Recently, a son had asked if I could recommend a good online devotional that would come to his email account each and every day. I recommended My Utmost for His Highest by Oswald Chambers. It was first published by his widow as a book in 1935 and has become a classic over the years. It's now available electronically, of course. Anyway, I would like to read you one that arrived this past week, just an excerpt from it. It's titled, The Way of Knowledge. The golden rule to follow, the golden rule to follow to obtain a spiritual understanding is not one of intellectual pursuit, but one of obedience. If a person wants scientific knowledge, then intellectual curiosity must be his guide. But if he desires knowledge and insight into the teachings of Jesus, he can only obtain it through obedience. If spiritual things seem dark and hidden, hidden to me, then I can be sure that there is a point of disobedience somewhere in my life. Intellectual darkness is, is the result of ignorance, but spiritual darkness is the result of something that, do I, that I do not intend to obey. Think about that. He continues, and here's his closing paragraph. And it's just a page, they're short. So if you sign up, it's a great devotional. When Jesus drives something home to you through his word, don't try to evade it. If you do, you'll become a religious imposter. Examine the things you tend simply to shrug your shoulders about and where you have refused to be obedient. And you will know why you are growing, why you are not.